Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, but perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a boxing ring here in 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. And with us today is nobody. 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 <laughs> uh, whatever. <laughs> um, we're, which is weird. Usually we get Chandler Levac for, for these kinds of movies. It's true. It's true. But I guess Chandler was on vacation. So, uh, listeners of the pod will know that means this is a, a Canadian film. 
Yeah, it's not entirely Canadian, but it is. It is certainly uh, got some Canadian funding. That's for sure. It's not directed by a Canadian, um, but uh, but it certainly stars um, a friend I went to high school with, Leanne Balaban. Literally amazing. So tell me a little bit about Leanne because I understand mm-hmm. that this was Leanne's first role. Yeah, and in addition, she was not really seeking this role out. No, right? she was she was discovered by a a, a family friend at a seder. Essentially, and said that. Yep, that that's this, how it happens. <laughs> that this this movie was coming together. There was a script, and uh, and that she could be great for the lead role. And Leanne, you know, I, oh god, my screen just oh there we go. Sorry, my screen just went completely black for a second. It's just did it again. Uh, hold on a second, guys. Okay, okay. Um, sorry about that. Start from the seder. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, yeah, a, fr- a family friend at a Seder, uh, said this movie was coming together and that Leanne should audition for it and that she could be great. Um, Leanne was not an actor. Uh, you know, she, she was just, um, I, I honestly, uh, we're going to interview Leanne. So we're going to tack on a, an interview with Leanne to the end of this episode, but, um, so she'll certainly be able to uh, to speak more intelligently about this than I will. But I just remember, um, you know, she had to jump through a lot of hoops. You know how the audition process goes for for anybody, but especially for someone with without um, experience, it's that much harder. Um, and yeah, and and I remember when she got the role. I remember when she, you know, she they they filmed a fair amount of this, I believe, in Cape Breton, uh, which is uh, in the the Maritimes um, of Canada. Oh, makes and, sense to me. Go ahead. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah. I mean, I it, it I have not watched this film since it came out. Um, I remember us all going to the theater to see it together, um, and you know, it, it's it's just interesting how like. And and you'll see when 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 we talk to her that uh, you know none of it went to her head. She she never you know it, it never sort of um, kind of I don't know warps your sensibility. I imagine that on some degree getting a role in something like this, thinking you know that anything's possible and having a big career after that and all of that. I imagine that it's got to be. Uh, a little bit overwhelming, but but watching this film, and I'm obviously very curious as to your thoughts. I'm sure you didn't even know this movie existed up until 24, well, 48 hours ago. No, I mean, we've been talking about it since the beginning of the pod yeah. because yeah. it's such a unique experience for you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to have someone you know uh, yes. go. And I, one of my best friends had a similar situation when he was around 16, 17. Mm-hmm. He, he's just like, good-looking, charismatic kid. And I was very similar that a family friend, mm-hmm. you know, knew him and was like, do you want to be in this movie? And this movie was called Luminous Motion. And it didn't really, it was like a festival movie. It didn't really make okay. any uh, anything, but it starred Deborah Kara Unger. Okay. And he was like playing kind of an older bad boy in the young actor. Eric Lloyd was kind of the young star of it. Mm-hmm. He was a guy from, I think, the... The um, Santa Claus movies and stuff sure, like that. Sure. So it was, you know, it had potential to be a thing. And my friend Jamie just, you know, it sounds like Leanne just kind of never made a big thing. And, and he uh, he played it out as long as he could play it. He he was one of the finalists in contentions for Lucas Black's role in, in Fast and Furious oh, wow. Three. But uh, when that really didn't happen, he just kind of said, that's not really for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is an interesting thing to see someone you know yeah. who doesn't necessarily, you know, 
aspire to be an actor mm-hmm. um, wind up in a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting, too, because I do feel like, you know, Leanne has has had, you know, numerous roles in things since. Um, and and I, I get the distinct impression that, you know, she moved to Montreal. Um, you know, I think she she always wanted to, you know, to, to capitalize on on this to some degree or another. But it, it's just interesting to to sort of it's a it's a time capsule thing, I guess. And it's a window into something that, um, you know, that that it's it's a fun thing i mean i think that this movie honestly um you know i i it's hard for me to be objective about leanne's performance for all intents and purposes of course of course because i you know but i do think she's very good in this movie i do think that she uh has a, a naturalism about her that comes with first performances by a non-actor well i totally agree with you i what, what i thought was really kind of you know in in I actually think Leanne's performance and Leanne's story is maybe the most accessible way into this conversation. Yeah. But what I think, what what, what I was so struck by was this is quite a role to give you a first timer. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it it relies upon their, you know, charisma and their understanding of character and their understanding of kind of, you know, their, their, their willingness to, underplay things because yeah. I think it's necessary that things are underplayed for parts of it. The willingness to kind of overplay things a point uh, at points. I was really impressed with her actually um, and liked her performance a lot. I also really liked the performance of the, uh, the other yeah, Tara. young Tara Spencer. Yes. Tara Spencer. I thought that was a really strong performance as well. Um, I actually think the I, performances kind of across the board are pretty solid. Like, I, I don't think that if this movie has faults, and believe me, it does, I'm not going to sit here and say that it doesn't. I, I do think that it's it's kind of in its pacing. I think that it's it's a, it's a little slow at times. And, um, and, and, and I think that the tone is specific. And I'm not sure that the director totally nails it at times, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think... My issues with this film aren't so much with the actual content, okay. which I think is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it does what it set out to do. I think it's a successful movie. My issue is with the ambition and the lack thereof. And I, I, it, it feels very. It feels like very well worn ground. Mm-hmm. Um, story we've seen so many times. So many uh, independent features, featured you know buildings, Romans um, are about this exact thing. You know, a a kind of sexual awakening. A I need to get out of here. I'm small town with big dreams. Um, you know, odd relationships with your families. It's it's we've seen this so many times, and there was only one element I thought that set it apart from the other kind. You know, the the fifteen Natalie Portman movies that we've seen like this, and that was um, it was definitely uh prescient in terms of consent. In terms of uh, gender dynamics, in terms of power dynamics, in terms of the way women feel, in terms I, like those those things really struck me as valuable. 
Um, well, I mean, you could tell that this was written by a woman, first of all. Like, I, I think that there's definitely, um, and, and I agree with everything you're saying, that that uh, this film is, what it made me think, like, I thought of, like, mermaids. I thought of uh, of, of numerous sort of, like, early Winona Ryder-type performances yeah. uh, or films. Winona, maybe Winona Ryder more than Natalie Portman, but, yeah. but yes, it was very, they, they, yeah. they were, I'm sure it was written with one of those two actresses in mind and yeah. they found someone who's very similar to, to those actresses <laughs> yes, yes yes so no i i agree or christina I, I, ricci like yes that. totally yeah. totally it has that again i you know i think that there's for me i'd say there was one other thing that made this stand out a little bit for me and and it is the sense of place you don't see many films that take place in cape breton uh it 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 did have a it did have a a uh a very kind of sp- specificity to that the problem i think to your point is that from a macro perspective uh there wasn't a tremendous amount of uh, uh originality i guess in in what the film's plot was you know what i mean like quirky family quirky girl uh who you know who feels trapped in her small town and you know and and, and wants to get out and all of that yeah and you know i mean it also had the element that i could you know, launch into the sun, which is the relationship with the teacher. Yeah, I, I was I was very curious as to your thoughts on the Andrew McCarthy component of this film. Well, it's not, I mean, like, again, this is 1999 and the trope hasn't been, you know, worn down to the nub at this point, <laughs> right? Yes. So yes. it's like, yeah. it's at this point, I, you know, irrespective of how gross it is, because yeah. it is gross at the, and I think that's where a lot of people's like kind of blanching from it now. And for those who haven't seen it, you know what it is. It's a, you know, a, a, a unique and talented and interesting, introspective 15 year old girl who is, you know, kind of intellectually brilliant, but socially awkward finds some comfort in the, you know, metaphorical arms of her teacher. Uh, and there's always a subtext of, um, of they want more. And I mean, this movie straight up says it at one point. At the, which I was at like, the end, it does. At the end, it does. Yes. And then I was going to get there. But throughout, yeah, throughout sorry, this film, no, no, it's fine. But throughout this film, there is this, you know, the sense of longing between these two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there was a time when that wasn't so uh, revolting and abhorrent. <laughs> But that's not really like what bothers me because like there's certainly a way to tell that story. I mean, they just did with a teacher on Hulu and, you know, obviously that's gender reverse. But there are there ways to tell this story that, you know, have cultural value and are, you know, compelling for the audience. Um, At this point, we've seen it so many times. It is not something that happens that often in real life. It's not this is not, you know, going to the fucking prom. Um, so it, 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 this, this need for people who write things about, you know, unicorn children to be appreciated by the one, you know, young, hot, sexy teacher and have this, you know, this, this quasi sexual relationship that sometimes turns sexual, often turns romantic is just, it's, I want to make this clear. It is not. It it is a it is a moral turnoff, mm-hmm. but like more critically for me right now, it is a narrative turnoff. 
right? Yeah, it does nothing I, yeah. for me narratively. So. No, I, I, I fully, fully agree with you. I, I, I remembered it when I hit play on the movie. I was like, because I, 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 I knew Andrew McCarthy was in it. I vaguely remembered their relationship. I actually do think that they have an interesting chemistry for what it's worth. Their first scene together in the classroom is a good scene for what it is. The, the, the issue ultimately becomes with where it goes, as far as I'm concerned. If it had stayed at that place between the two of them, I, I might not have had, I mean, subtextually it was there, but how overt it becomes to me was just like, okay, I, come on. I guess like, what's the point? Yeah. So I guess like I, 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 this is really for me. This is not so much about New Order for for a girl. This is about this trope. Mm-hmm. I guess for me, what's the point? Because yeah, you, you, I think you more often. This might be ridiculous overgeneralization, but or or misreading of pop culture at large. But more often, I feel like when you have a teacher. In a movie like this, mm-hmm. a a independent minded, not necessarily independent movie, but an independent minded film about coming of age, mm-hmm. the teacher in some way is usually you know macking on the the student or or, or trying to get with the student as as if that is uh it, it's not even a question of whether it's you know it's common, but as if that's compelling and it also like. Yeah to me demonizes a really noble profession uh, underpaid um, under underloved profession that i feel you know we just don't do enough to yeah i hear you and i think you know it's interesting the new gossip girl uh mm-hmm. and, uh for those who don't know it's ruined in the first 15 minutes the yeah. the new gossip the new gg the new gossip girl or, or is a conglomeration of of underpaid angry bitchy teachers which is interesting to me in theory, um, uh, particularly because this is Gossip Girl and not in any way an attempt to, you know, you know, feel like real life. But um, and because Toby Gevinson is the lead teacher and she's and great. there's the yes, best part and of the show. Yes. meta aspect yes. to that. And, yeah. you know, but mm-hmm. it's it's just it's uh, it's this common trope of teachers being, you know, lame ass student wannabes. Yeah, it's insane. It's, it's crazy. just what it feels like to me. It's this idea of like, why would you, it's just this idea of why would you become a teacher unless you can't get over high school and you still like secretly want to, you know, date the students. It, ha- what, it, it just happened in um, fucking Booksmart. Yep. In, in Booksmart, which is, you know, held up as this, you know, uh, this, this, this feminist uh manifesto the the character played by who was it amber ruffin it wasn't amber ruffin it was um the the, oh one. yeah i can't remember which character yeah i know what you're talking about though uh it no it was it was um it was it was a uh, it was was uh, Sadakis, the teacher no yeah but that's a, i'm talking about the uh the black female teacher uh, oh so she, sorry so she, uh zamita um the one from saturday night live oh so Shears is Amita? Yeah. Oh, this is embarrassing. I mean, we can we can cut this. Please cut it all out. Uh, her name is... Hmm? The fuck? Oh, no, it's Jessica Williams. Okay. All right, so she's not from Saturday Night Live. She's from The Daily Show. Yeah. But it was Jessica Williams is playing... All right, so the, in Booksmart, Jessica Williams is playing this, like, yeah. 
hot teacher who just wants to go and Being hang students. with the kids. Yeah, I know it's crazy. It's crazy. Have sex with kids, and that's the idea. The idea. It's it's it just like it's crazy to me and annoying and disappointing. You know, in my high school. Do you know how much we thought about teachers? Zero. In terms of our social lives, zero. And if anybody like yeah. if anybody considered introducing a teacher, even a quote unquote hot teacher, into our social lives, you'd be like, you're psychotic. Get this fucking narc out of our party. You, you know, know? I, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate just for one quick thing. Which is that I did have a teacher. I had a science teacher who was probably in her like early thirties, mm-hmm. and so so she was a hundred in, in high school. Sure, yes, but like let's point is she did. Okay, but she didn't seem like a hundred like thousand. the other teachers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And she had a tattoo on her scalp because she used to have a mohawk. And she would like part her hair and we could see this like really elaborate tattoo that she had on her scalp. She was a cool teacher. Like she was a teacher that I felt like. Did you call what? her teach? We, we didn't call her. Teach. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I say this just to say it's the only it's the only slight instance I've ever had in my life that even remotely comes close to what you're talking about. And it still does talk about teachers. Let's talk about teachers. Let's talk about bit. teachers. Let's talk about teachers. Do you have friends who became teachers? Jesus. Probably. Yes. Yes. Do you? Sure. Okay. I, I, I know, I know a, a bunch of people who mm-hmm. work in schools in mm-hmm. one way or another, whether there's teachers or coaches or uh, guidance counselors, school psychologists, mm-hmm. Um, people uh, in preschools, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And having known them yeah. when they were younger, um, you know, they're not known people from high school or, 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 or college who went into this profession. They're not necessarily people that I would love to have my children uh, taught by, in, taught by or, <laughs> or, in the, or in their control or under their supervision for a period of time. But to a teacher, all of whom were partiers or drinkers or fun people. Sure. I expect none of them to be dirty or weird <laughs> or secretly like secretly like pine yeah. after a student or sneak up on a on a house party with students. You know, th- it, this is just not a thing that I mean, and don't get me wrong. I'm guessing that there are people listening to this being like, oh, no, we had a teacher. Sure. Oh, no, sure. we had a teacher yeah. who would come to our party and play flip cup with us. Um, but but those teachers, I, I just, yeah. I, I, I don't think it is that. I don't think it plays like that. And it certainly isn't like they're the cool kids. And I, I, I also think it's just fucking lame and weird, and I hate it. So I, this is a <laughs> well, long. Well, I'll just. I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I think that there's, there's, there's clearly a metatextual commentary in Andrew McCarthy's casting, first and foremost, uh, coming obviously from the Brat Pack and all that yes. kind of stuff. There, there yes. is that, and, and we should, we should note. He's the great Andrew McCarthy. He's the great Andrew McCarthy. We love Andrew McCarthy <laughs> the, on this podcast. He's the best. Um, and I, I, I actually do think that that he does the best he can to make this palatable, to well, make this as least creepy as possible, I think. Very hard with those sideburns. 
Very hard with Very Cecil. unfortunate sideburns. He has unfortunate sideburns. I, I do think that Cecil, which is the character he plays, is an interesting character. I'm not I'm not in any way suggesting that I'm okay with his his love for, for Mooney, but do you sort of know what I'm getting at? That like this character is a little bit it's got a little bit more going on in it than it could have. Here's what here's what I would say. Yeah. The fa- all right, so about two thirds, maybe even three quarters through the movie, he essentially professes his love for her. It says, not I love in, you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so not in a you know, John Cusack, no. you know, holding a boombox kind of way, mm-hmm. in a very matter of fact scene at a yeah. bar, mm-hmm. uh, where he just says, I love you, you know, that or something along those yeah. lines, right? And uh, it's horrible, and it, it is. It is, it's horrible and it's yeah. upsetting and it sucks. I would have preferred the opposite, which okay. I, which I, and then we've seen this in movies too, sure. but just that feels so much more palatable to me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the, the trope I want to see undercut, and again, this is 22 years ago. So, you know, what do I know? But the trope I want to see, see undercut is this idea that, Every youngish, good-looking teacher is secretly, you know, kind of horny for their students. I, I, I don't like the i that idea. What I, what I think I would have preferred is Mooney to feel like that's what it is, yeah, and have that never actually be what it is. And what he really wanted is what you hope your teachers want yep. is for you to succeed as students, which is what he's doing, right? He ultimately is is trying to get her into this arts academy in New York. But there's this kind of pervasive undercurrent of, is it because she's good or is it because he finds her, you know, attractive or alluring and where he's trying to gain favor with her so he can, you know, rape her. Um, and which is, you know, yeah, it does, what, does, he's, what yeah. he's maybe trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, it, it, it hurts the movie. It hurts her character. It hurts any, any, um, it hurts any audience's ability ability to look at this character and say, okay, this is someone we think is, you know, brilliant and has nothing to do with her gender or her age or her vulnerability. It's just because of her ability. It's it it and it and it seems like it's a shorthand way of saying uh we're not your normal teen movie. And I that's that's the thing I think that's happens a lot with this thing that's is interesting. that is once we include teachers in social situations, particularly sexual situations, um it does seem like a shorthand way of saying, all right, we're we're a little grittier, we're a little tougher, we're a little more real world than your uh your cluelesses or your mean girls or your mm-hmm. American pies or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um we are we we are dealing with real world shit now with, with grown-ups with real problems. And you know, grown-ups whose real problem is how do I fuck my students ultimately is not that fucking thrilling to me. So uh that's I, I do. I that do piece think though, that that I yeah. do think does hurt this movie, and ultimately, I don't think it maims this movie because it's not a huge yeah. part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge part of what I'm taking from it right now. But you know, there, when you move past this to essentially Lou, her friend who moves from New York, who becomes almost a Avenger for the for yeah. for girls who are taken advantage of in the city. Yep. Yep. Uh, that gets interesting to me, mm-hmm. and plays on some themes that I don't think are 
overexposed even now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think there's a lot more to that that that's you know makes this movie I think a worthwhile a worthwhile watch. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I well, two things. The first is you know just to to um, to close the loop on the teacher thing. I, I'll say this: I, I do feel like there's there is there's an interesting story to be told about uh, why a teacher might cross lines with students. As you mentioned, a teacher, the, the FX show, I think did a, a, a pretty good job at that um, in terms of, of unpacking um, those situations. I, I also just feel like um, there is a gender component to it as well, right? There's this idea of sort of like the, the lecherous male teacher that's preying on the young female students, that that trope does feel incredibly well-worn at this point. Uh, I, I yeah. want to say the adjectives you used, I don't think are ever ascribed to those characters. The uh, Well, adjective and verb. Lecherous, I don't think he's lecherous. And praying, don't get me wrong, I do think he's lecherous and I do think he's praying. Okay, okay, okay. But, I, but I don't think that he's portrayed as lecturers Correct. and i don't Correct. think he's and i don't think it's portrayed Correct. as praying i think that's the problem mm-hmm. right i agree yeah. i think that's the issue the <clears throat> issue is it's presented to me as another relationship now yes. the movie that does this the worst and it's not a teacher relationship but the worst offender of this of all time is uh beautiful girls Yes, yes. Where where that relation between Timothy Hutton yes. and Natalie, Natalie Portman, Portman yeah. is presented to me as a uh, adorable yeah. meet cute between <laughs> neighbors yeah. who are helping each other, you know, through a crisis. Aren't and they are adorable? Falling, aren't they adorable? And like I, I just and I, I don't mean to like call them out, but I distinctly yeah. remember Bill Simmons writing a column on that movie. Mm. And saying the reason that works is because all men want to fuck Natalie Portman at that time. And that was an ESPN. Now, I may be a little wrong and like, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt that he may have also been talking about the professional, but it's the same fucking idea. Um, and I, I, I think that when we've seen this with Robert Jerry Ebert's reviews of American mm-hmm. Beauty, and I think that there was this idea in the 90s and into the 2000s that like wink and nod like we get it there's an age of consent but like it's okay to be keeping tabs on the 15 year olds and 16 year olds who one day are going to be the girls you can like i mean there were websites that would count down to to the legality of these of these you know young female actors the the mere fact that there was a magazine called barely legal and that there's still idea like barely legal you know like like subsections on on porn sites <laughs> speaks to how much of an idea this is yeah. that that it is it is wink and nod you know we'll look away okay it's essentially going you know 12 miles over the speed limit to lust after young girls and what I'm getting at is like there is no judgment of an Andrew McCarthy in this movie. Negative judgment. No. And he's, a, he's a hero by the have, end of this movie. <laughs> you have to be judging these 
characters negatively. So, like, I'll give you an example of something that I think weirdly works. Okay. Um, Well, look, Lolita weirdly works, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not. But but that's. You mean the book or you mean the movie? Every every Lolita, both Lolita films and Lolita the book, because obviously, you know, Humbert Humbert is not a hero. But uh, is that his name, Humbert Humbert? Yep. I think it's uh, Hubert. Hubert. No, it's Humbert Humbert. Humbert. Okay, there you go. Um, but uh, but the song "Don't Stand So Close to Me" by the Police is a three and a half minute distillation of of what I think the movie could be. Yep. Where yep. someone is really struggling with the fact that they have these feelings mm-hmm. and desires that are immoral mm-hmm. and disgusting to themselves mm-hmm. and they are having a hard time pulling back because then you get into the really good shit like little children. Yep. Right? Totally. I, I feel like this, in a weird way, this film is kind of, this relationship particularly is neither fish nor fowl for me. And it, it, it makes it, first of all, either pull way back and make it all subtextual and let us just stew in what it feels like we're kind of reading into this relationship and that the, no lines are crossed mm-hmm. or to some degree, I, I, your, your point with Lolita is a good one, right? Where it's like, go then just, you know, fully commit to the idea of this man fully grappling with these, you know, impure thoughts and, and really kind of dig into that, but it's not really doing either of those things. Um, no, so, because, yeah. because I think we've lost, I, I think at this particular moment in history, yep. 1999, we kind of, and American Beauty is a fucking really good example of this as well. Yes. We've, we've completely got lost in the weeds of how immoral it is. That's yeah. the thing that happened. Yeah. Like yeah. we just got lost in the weeds. Totally agree and with you. Yeah. Some weird, it just got, it, like society just got so fucking weird. In, in and I'm not saying it wasn't like this before. Obviously, this has always yeah. been kind of a thing, but it got mainstreamed. You yes. know, it got just mainstreamed in a way where people were just like, "Yeah, this is just another way people have relationships now." Like even yeah. like on a show like uh, Friends, where Ross starts, you know, dating his student who was, you know, an undergrad, and again, it's legal, yeah. but it's fucking creepy. Yeah. This happened in society with Brooklyn and Monica Lewinsky. Well, that was where, that's, like, that's the big thing, right? Like that's the real like lightning rod of that. Yeah. Where yeah. people were where, where the the enlightened the enlightened thought was uh what happens uh, what happens in a person's marriage and what happens between two consenting adults is is fine. Like th- these are not questions you're allowed to ask. Mm-hmm. And that is like you know that's creepy on two levels, but it, it plays into this as well because the the you know the issue with that, if, even if you want to say Monica Lewinsky was of age and is a consenting adult, the issue, of course, is a power dynamics one. She he Absolutely. was her boss, yeah, and a teacher has the same kind of power over over the student. See, he, he Andrew McCarthy's character doesn't actually wield it, but yeah. he had the opportunity to pull back his recommendation at any time. There was certainly yeah. a, a darker version where Andrew McCarthy says, you know, look, I love you and I want you. Mm-hmm. And if you want this recommendation, you know, you'll sleep with me or yeah. something along those lines. And that was like that. That's always kind of hanging out there. And Mooney had to be cognizant of that. Yeah, there's there's a really there is an interesting scene between them. I would argue perhaps the best scene in the film is the scene when they're walking on the beach together and she she's 
she has been accepted into this school, but doesn't know how she can extricate herself from the town in order to, to go to this school. And she's essentially going to, to, to Cecil for some sort of guidance or some sort of help. And he kind of just says, like, I can't help you. I got you into the school. I don't really know what you want from me outside of that. Like, I don't, I, I don't really – he almost kind of says, like, I just don't really understand our relationship. And I don't really know what, what you want from me. And she kind of says the same thing to him. Like, it's an interesting scene because it actually kind of treads in waters that the film doesn't really go to outside of that. Like, I like it because it's a gray scene, right? Like the problem with the rest of their scenes is they're just so binary. They're just so like, I love you. Stop being weird. Like Mooney is, is rejecting him at every turn, just to be abundantly clear. Like she is not into him in that way. And even their kiss at the end felt theatrical in order mm-hmm. to get her what she needed, as opposed to actually feeling as though she had any feelings for him. It's, 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 kind of a weird thing because again like i just it's non-committal i don't really think they know what they want to say about this relationship um but but i will say that i do think the arguably the best relationship in this film is the one between mooney and lou and and i wish the and the movie does dedicate a fair amount of time to them but there's a part of me that wished that that i knew lou a little bit better um and that i had a little bit more time with the two of them but i, I don't know what you think I, I felt, I mean, I felt like for a large portion of this movie, it was Lou's movie. Yes, yes, um, yes. And I thought Lou's arc was uh, really interesting. Yes. Um, I also, and, and I also thought her drive was really interesting too. She kind of came into this town with her New York swagger, daughter of a boxer, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, took, saw all these girls getting taken advantage of and thought she could do something about it. And she did. Now there's this Catholicism element to it. I don't really get, Yeah. Um, nor do I really care for, but it doesn't really matter. The idea yeah. being if, if, if you're, you know, so she's, she's punching these guys. And I guess the idea is she knows how to punch, uh, <laughs> but she will, but you will only go down if you're guilty. Yeah. Right. So uh, that, that's what the the movie needs that. So that's 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 what that is, right? And like, I, it's just I don't know. It kind of undercuts her ability as a puncher, and it's <laughs> this. But like, I you just kind of let it go. And right. the, I guess the 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 thing I, I I liked about it was this idea. There was a show, um, a, a somewhat beloved show, but it was only a one season show on MTV called Sweet Vicious. Yeah, great show. Which uh, Jen Caitlin Robinson, who went as you know now a big director and writer, but it was her first thing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the idea behind that show for the people who don't know is basically like two college women taking revenge on men who have sexually harassed, abused, or raped girls on yeah. campus. Um, and I, I think this is kind of a beta, you know, a beta testing version of of that. Mm-hmm. Now the problem I have with this version is the loose stuff is very clear to me. I don't really get the Mooney part of it. Going up to guys. Yeah, so Mooney starts and- to kiss a bunch of guys to seem like she's promiscuous. It's it's a long con insofar as that she eventually thinks I can pretend I'm pregnant and if I'm pregnant, my parents will let me leave town. But it's circuitous to say the least and you don't get the impression that that's really her plan up top. So the mm-hmm. plan seems to just be essentially to just change the perception of her in town um, to what end is unclear. I think so. I think that's, <laughs> so I, 
I, I'm wondering if yeah. there is a it almost feels like if I were involved with this movie, yes, at some point, if I was involved on the on the you know development of this movie, yes, at some point I would have said the relationship between these two girls is the movie. They yep. are they are yep. taking they are they they are taking back control and let's focus on that. Let's totally. focus on a way to kind of scare these boys straight. Mm-hmm. Um in a almost promising woman way. Right? I, I could I could agree with you more. I, I think that the weakest part of this film, and this is not a performance thing, I just think it's ultimately an execution thing. The family stuff just doesn't work and it eats up a fair amount of screen time. Mm-hmm. She's got a bunch of siblings and and she's got, you know, a a, a quirky mom and dad. And it, it just it it never fully I, I would I would argue as well, tonally, it feels like a different movie. Whenever we're in scenes with the family, it feels a little bit too sort of dialed up and a little bit too cartoony at times. Yeah. Um, I just think all of that stuff could have been pulled way back. And to your point, they should have just gone all in on the on the Mooney and Lou uh, storyline. Um, but Which yeah. seems simple there for the taking. I mean, I you I know, agree. what I wrote was, this is half a good movie and half a good idea. And I, I think that... Yeah. I, I think that they they yeah. they really could have taken a, you know, a hatchet to a lot of this a lot yeah. of the the stuff that isn't about Mooney and Lou. I agree. Um, and, and and also just like the school stuff, I, I it's it it does feel almost like, um, in an attempt to not seem like another high school movie they wanted to sort of expand the universe, right? And and make sort of the sandbox bigger. Um, but in the process, I feel like to your point, I think to both our points, they made a weaker film for it because mm-hmm. it, it feels as though there's kind of too many moving pieces now. Uh, whereas you could have told a, a much more concise and a sharper movie had you focused in on the relationship between those two girls. And you could have, and you could have devoted all of your uh, story moves to that yeah. story. Yes, you know yes. the it's it's funny because this is the, the exact same setup as like Luca, more or less, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Luca's a superior film because Luca's just about the relationship between the two boys, yeah. uh, and you know Luca's a complicated character and and Luca yeah. doesn't exactly know what he wants and Luca betrays I forget the other boy's name but he Antonio, yeah. Think so. uh, yeah Luca betrays Antonio at one point and they have just a unique relationship where they're trying to exactly grapple with who they are to each other and who they want to be and where they want to go and all that all those things and that just doesn't really happen in this movie between those two characters because there isn't the real estate for it right like no I agree Lou yeah. can't really function as the second half of you know the second half of a two hander she just kind of has to function as a plot device for Mooney and the other women in town to kind of liberate themselves from this, you know, male dominated, almost, you know, this patriarchal uh, Neanderthalism. Well, it's, it's funny. You brought up book smart earlier. And, and I do think that this film, uh, you kind of wish this film was more book smart back, back in the day, right. In, in the sense of that, it, that it was completely invested in the relationship between these two girls. And, and by the way, it's not to say that, it needs to be them in scenes together all the time. I mean, I think that Booksmart does a good job of creating storylines for them individually that works quite well. It's just, this movie comes to life when it's them, right? Like when it's them at a party, when it's them, you know, uh, doing a drive down the strip, which is literally yep, like two blocks. That. And then, and then they're like, yeah. and, and then Lou's like, wait, so now we got to pretend they're different guys. Like it's, it's, 
th- that stuff's great. You know what I mean? And and I think that unfortunately, um, it almost in a weird way. As I was watching it, I was thinking like, this is probably a better novel than it is a movie. You know what I mean? Like I could I could see this screenwriter sitting down and writing this as a book and really fleshing out all the stuff she wants to flesh out, giving it sort of that that weight and allowing you to have all these kind of like this this bench of characters. But as a film, it just doesn't it just doesn't work in that way. It just doesn't have the 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 meatiness to the to the supporting roles like i i like the 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 dad character i think he's fine but i'm also just like he gets way too much screen time i'd rather you know give that to lou but i mean i don't know yeah i i think that's i think that's really we're we're hitting on the same thing i i it's 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 it, it needs another pass yeah I want to give a synopsis of this film for the people oh, sure, that have not ahead. seen this. Yeah. Uh, Mooney, played by Liam Balaban, uh, feels trapped in her small coastal Canadian town and with good reason. When she told her parents that her teacher, Cecil, had offered her a spot at an art school in New York, her parents forbade her to go. Then Surly Lou, played by Tara Spencer Naren, uh, moves into town. It moves into the neighborhood reportedly from Manhattan. She is from Manhattan. I don't know why they said reportedly. After quickly becoming friends, the two girls had to well, She's not escape. from Manhattan. She's from oh, right, right, sorry, like Queens, I think, right? Yeah, Bronx? Queens. Yeah. yeah. New York. She's from New York. Yeah. Uh, After quickly becoming friends, the two girls hatch a scheme to escape their provincial prison, utilizing Lou's improbable boxing skills. New Waterford Girls screened at the Toronto International Film Festival on September 12th, 1999, and it would go on to make $774,469. I love how specific that is to the dollar. Uh, New Waterford Girl has 92% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 85% from critics, or sorry, from audiences. Um, I, I mean, we, we've hit a fair amount of, of the plot. There's not a ton of plot to talk about, but there is some stuff I want to hit along the way. But yeah, go ahead. I want to ask you a question. Please. No, I, I, I give this movie a, a positive, a positive you know, score. Sure. But sure. why do you think this kind of movie yeah. always seems to f- get good reviews? I, the gets... It, it, Cause like, you know what I'm saying. I know. What you're like, saying. It, like I, 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 I wonder what that is. Now I know that I, I know that sounds almost like I'm, I'm, I'm being willfully ignorant yeah. as a person who is giving it a good review myself. <laughs> but why is it that th- this movie is, you know, not a 92 percent no fresh movie? I, I think that I mean it's. I think it's a symptom of a couple things. I think that, and I think you and I feel the same way, which is that when um, a writer and a director, and quite frankly, a studio or investors decide to make a a, a um, complex, uh, heartfelt movie about coming of age, it's gonna hit a sweet spot to some degree or another with with intelligent people, right? People that, that it's not even a nostalgia thing, but I think it's just taking a real swing at trying to understand those years in your life, I think is going to sort of resonate with people one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, uh, I also just don't think they make that many of them is kind of the thing too. So when they do kind of happen, I think everyone's just like, yes, like a book smart's a perfect example of that, right? I mean, I like book smart. I think book smart's a good movie. Um, I, I, I don't think necessarily I would have given it the, the, you know, uh, unbelievable reviews that it got at the time. Um, I just think people are just excited when, when something like this happens because it's kind of rare. 
So I think Booksmart's are, I think I agree with you exactly. I think Booksmart's a very good movie. Um, and Booksmart almost doesn't, isn't what I'm talking about. I know. Right. So Booksmart is a, you know, a studio movie. I mean, it's not, but it is. I mean, Booksmart is a movie that, 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 let, let's, let me, let me put it differently. Booksmart's a movie from 2020 or 2019 or whatever it is. Things are different now. Mm-hmm. This is a movie, um, that probably emanated from, you know, the the laptop of a first time screenwriter who had an idea. I want to write about my life. I want to write about my childhood. I want to yep. write about what it's like to, to you know to to grow up as a, a young girl in a you know far off Canadian town and mm-hmm. dream big. Yep. Everybody has that idea, yep. Yep. right? Everybody has that idea. Now that's not a bad thing, right? What you know, but my working thesis is. The ones that actually get in front of critics are just the best of those ideas. That there are yep, I agree with that. Dozens, if not hundreds, of movies like this made every year that are, you know, in film festivals, in shitty film festivals, or rejected altogether from film festivals. Very few of them actually get bought at film festivals, get any kind of release and wind up in front of critics. And those are the top 1% of movies like this. Now, even those very often to me are a little rote and uninspired. Um, And I, I would, and I could see how this is, this works and it's professional and it's, you know, it's certainly super competent and there are aspects of it that are, you know, novel, yeah. but in general, almost universal acclaim seemed wild for a movie like this to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, first of all, and, and, you know, I hope that everyone takes our, our, you know, quoting Rotten Tomatoes critics uh, or their scores that is with a grain of salt, because, you know, as we all know, they can be, they can be based on 10 reviews. They can be based on 200 reviews. Uh, they can be based I, I was on just looking up how many there, this was, this is based on, and this is based on 12 reviews. Right. So again, right. Like uh, the, the same with the audience scores, we all know, you know, what transpired with last Jedi and any number of, of bots that can try to fuck, with with uh, audience scores as well, so take take all of this with a grain of salt. Um, but but your your grander point, I agree with Kenny, which is that by and large, it feels like movies of this ilk do tend to do quite well with critics. Um, I th- I just you know, I, I think part of it just has to do with. Um, you know, people just like a heartwarming coming of age movie. I, I mean, truly, um, and and I think that that this film for 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 all of my issues with it, I do think that kind of sticks the landing in the end. I thought the last scene uh, was a nice scene. I, I like I like this movie's message when it comes to at least when it comes to Mooney and Lou, um, and. You know, I, I kind of like what it's saying most of the time. Well, Apollo Webster, I'm sorry, Brian Webster of the Apollo Guide. Sure. I didn't know. I don't f- know what that is. But sure. I don't either. Okay. He's one of the few guys with a uh, with an actual quote on Rotten Tomatoes. Cool. What does he have to say? Sweet, if not profound, with several laugh out loud moments and a, one, a wonderful portrait of place. I think sure. Brian Webster nailed it. I think he right? did too. Yeah. Now the now the, the the larger issue is yes in our content 
uh, in our in our, in our our content waterlogged society. Yes, right now, where we are just overwhelmed with shit to watch. Yeah. Where I can't even watch things I've been wanting to watch for, for years. years. <laughs> you know, where I literally have like yeah. I literally have a a list of hundreds of movies that I plan on getting to at some point to say nothing of like a quiet place too, you know, to say nothing of like space jam Two, sure. shit that like is coming out that I just, you know, in the Heights, which I didn't watch in the first week and I'll never watch. What place does a movie like this have? Like what place does sweet, <sighs> but not profound have? You know, I, I, in, in the current landscape that we live in, not much. You know what I mean? I, I don't I, I think that this this particular film would not get made today. I don't imagine. But it might get made, right? Because like, you know, you're Maybe. still gonna you're you're still gonna it might get made well, that's a good it's a it's a bigger question of what does get made mean and what does get made entail and and, and sure, like what sure, are the sure, barriers sure, sure. to getting made mean? And I think that's it because because it's an interesting point you make because all right. Would not get made. Of course, it wouldn't get made by a studio, right? Uh, and probably wouldn't get made by a streamer. Uh, does it get like? Is there a financier out there willing to put a million dollars up to make a movie like this? Like, probably, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I, I, you know, again, I, I, and and you know, I'm, I'm curious as to whether Leanne has any insight into this in terms of how the film came together, um, you know, financially and otherwise. You know, there there are some names in this. I, I think part of the thing too, and you know, not not to get into a, a grander discussion about the film industry at large right now in terms of distribution, but you know, I, 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 there used to be a straight to video thing. You know what I mean? And we do have VOD now, and we do have sort of some components of that. So there are lots of movies that get dumped on iTunes, I assume, monthly that you and I don't even know about that might even turn a profit depending on how many people rent them or buy them. Um, I just don't know if that's a, a legitimate revenue stream or not at this point. There are tons, yeah. but they're all genre films. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, the action so, movies or what have you. Yeah. yeah. Or the, you know, the horror movies yeah. or, you know, I mean, they're, they're I think they're like 50 sh- straight to shutter movies. Either. Right. It would not right. be this. It would not be a, a, a coming of age movie, a better girl in Cape Breton. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is the bigger question. Yeah. And this is what I've been thinking about a lot lately. Yeah. I think people are are up on this straight to shutter market, right? I think people are <laughs> up on this on this like Netflix putting out these you know sure, sure. schlocky thrillers and mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and the straight to VOD things, and the um you know the the action movies that only Tom Lorenzo watches, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but is there a market yeah. for everything else, right? Because I'm not the first guy to say Blumhouse for romantic comics, Blumhouse yeah. for yeah. drama. Yeah. Why has that happened? You know, I it, it feels inevitable to some degree or another. It does, right? but Blumhouse has been around for 15 years now. Yeah, you know, I, like, I don't, I don't the, know. It, I, it, yeah, it, 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 or. I, I mean, that is a bad, bad example. Like, is that what Neon's doing? Is that what A24 is doing? Is like, well, is, is, is that already? I know they're usually yeah. acquiring. Yes, yes. But is that what they're doing? Like, well, A24 is, is, you know, legitimately 
producing things. Yes, that's uh, true. Not, not to say that Neon isn't a legitimate source. It is, but they do tend to, um, you know, they're, they're grabbing stuff from festivals and what have you and, and distributing them. Um, you know, I, 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 it, it, I think to answer your, your bigger question, I still, and, and I think that the pandemic has only dialed this up to 11, which is that we just don't really know what this is going to look like in 10 years. Um, I, I really just don't think we do. I think the theaters will exist. I think people are still going to go and see big studio temple movies. I think, I think sure, that stuff we're is, about to buy one. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but I do think that, um, to your point, uh, I think that you're going to see movie streamers or, or what have you becoming very genre specific. Like, I think that, that Netflix doing this kind of shotgun approach of like everything, people are going to start picking off stuff and start finding ways and lanes to do, uh, to do that. If it is sort of rom-coms, if it is whatever it is, I feel like that stuff is right for the taking. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised that someone hasn't done it already. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Me too. I, I, I think that. Um, yeah, I, I would. I would also argue too. You know, I don't know if you saw the the stats that came out yesterday about Netflix. You know, they lost over four hundred thousand subscribers in the U, U.S. and uh, and Canada over the last quarter. Um, interesting. Which I think is interesting. Um, I, I think that that uh, I'm not sure how Netflix contextualized it, but they 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 used an interesting word, uh, lumping or lumpy. I think was the word that they choose. Uh, it, it's it's interesting. I I I don't know. I mean, you, did you watch Fear Street? Did you by chance? No, but I'd like to. But again, you know, this deluge of content. I see right, no chance. Right. It, it I, I liked them. I I I quite enjoyed it. But I do think that um, you make a really good point about how Netflix is just um, they're all over the map when it comes to their their the movies that they make. Um, We've talked about this, uh, you know, at the end of every year, there's a list of all the movies that Netflix made. And I swear to God, I have not heard of 85% of them. Um, and I don't know who's watching them. Be well, but only 15% of them actually have any kind of marketing behind them, like Fear Street, right? Right, and then, right. And, Or even get screened by critics. And right. It is so hard. <laughs> it's it's hard to even process. It, it's hard to wrap your head around. as yeah. people, you and me, who for 20, 25 years, knew every single feature, mm -hmm. whether we saw it or not, knew of every single feature mm -hmm. that was being produced, that was in theaters, yeah. 
yeah. who can name actors in them and who directed them and who wrote them often and who did the score. Like yeah. th- this thing that we're dealing with right now, you know, 800 to 1,000 films, mm-hmm. 500 or more, maybe n- fucking 700 or more. We just yep. don't even fucking know about. Don't even register. It's crazy. crazy. Particularly as as a, particularly as an industry professional, like the idea that these, and you know, high class problems, but you have these blacklist scripts, these specs that get sold to Netflix, get made. And and it's like, it didn't even happen. I, I, I'll, I'll take it one step farther. I don't even know how people find these movies on the actual physical interface i i if you put me in front of netflix for 45 minutes i'm not sure i could find most of these movies i don't Um, know how people i'm sure it's an algorithm i'm sure it has to do with you know what type of movies you've watched in the past you stumbled upon some fucking you know you know whatever schmageggy movie and then it just gets you get more of them sent to you but i don't know man. have you ever in your life put on a movie on any streaming service Mm -hmm. that you hadn't previously heard of. No. Do you think people, I I, I do. People must, right? I'm assuming it's never happened to me in my life. People might. And then, and then part of that is because you like me have basically a ever growing list of shit you have to watch and also you want to watch. Exactly. Right. Shit that I hear about on various websites, various, you know, which which I'm including on these lists. You have this mental list of like, you know, sometimes there's a Netflix movie that breaks through, like, you know, to all the girls I love before or or all the boys I love before or, uh, you know, whatever. And, I mean, I know the kissing booth exists. I'll never watch it, but I know that it exists. Right. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, the kissing booth could conceivably be on your list, right? Right. right. Or yeah. uh, someone great uh, yes. was yes. on your yes. list, right? Yes. Because yes. it got some, you know, play in sure. vulture and got some play sure. in IndieWire or whatever it is. Right. There are 80 other fucking movies on Netflix that no one knows about. I don't know what right. websites they're being talked about. And the only people who could potentially watch them or people who have sat home all during the whole pandemic and watched everything on Netflix. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's so funny right now. Like, are you getting, is, is your Netflix telling you to watch startup? No, but my, I have Netflix telling me to finish stuff, which I hate. They'll oh, send me an email he, being like, don't forget to finish this. And I'll be like, do you, do you think I, yeah, I made the decision. I made the decision that. not yeah. to fucking finish that. But, yeah. but I, I, I want to. This, this is an interesting idea, and I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts on this. Um, so, this movie, New Water for Girl, is is on IMDb TV, uh, aka Amazon, whatever, however you want to to split this. Um, and I think that's great. I would love to know why. Right. Like, and I don't say that because I didn't enjoy this film and that I'm not happy that, that perhaps, uh, the, the, the people behind this film are, are making some money off of it. Would love to see that. But I'm just curious as to how these things happen. Right. Like, how does a movie like this, which, as we said earlier, didn't crack a million dollars in, in, in its, in its box office? Um, how does it get onto these streaming services? Um, that is sort of also beyond me, right? Like we've been doing this for four years now, right? And you and I are always very happy when a movie that we haven't seen or need to watch is on these streaming services. And I'd say probably 75% of the time, I'll be honest, it's on one of those streaming services, right? Mm -hmm. Which is great. But sometimes I'm just like, why is, how is this on here? 
why is Tubi decided that this movie is on there? Yeah. Why is Pluto decided that this movie? I really don't know the answer. No. What are the metrics? How are they? How are they even figuring out why a, why a small movie like this is worth their time or their bandwidth? I don't know. I the have answer. no idea. I mean, <laughs> you know, part no of idea. part of it is like you do. You know, you do. They 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 all these streaming services need more than you can watch. Yes. They need yes. it. Right. They, they they need to be an a, a an ever ending mall. Mm-hmm. That you could never get through, and in order right. to do that, you just need stuff. Like that was Netflix in the beginning. Netflix in the beginning just wanted titles, shit to yeah. fill the boxes, and they didn't care what it was. Like truly, right. they didn't care what it was, just as long as it felt like there's mm-hmm. always more. You haven't gotten to the end. Now, I that's think that's interesting. True. I think that's true to this too. Like the the, yeah. the mere fact, the mere fact that New Water for a Girl can fill a box. And it's just mm-hmm. another thing, mm-hmm. and maybe it's something that one percent of the audience will 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 check in on is almost irrelevant. It just needs to be a box on their ever ending or their, I guess their, 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 their never ending shelf. There must there must be some legitimacy to that. I, I I don't I don't mean to suggest that there isn't. I, I I think that I think it's it's all about libraries. Obviously, that goes without saying. I imagine as well that they reach out to companies and say, like, we would love as many library titles as we can get from you guys. And it's kind of a batch thing. And these smaller titles get kind of folded into these clumps that that are perhaps purchased uh, for, for, for streaming. I think it's just really interesting. Um, so I, I want to kind of just uh, unpack a couple things uh, from the film Um before we wrap this up, the first that I want to kind of highlight a little bit, I know we talked a little bit about Leanne up top, but I do kind of want to talk about the the sort of high wire act that is this performance in terms of the whole movie's on her shoulders. And I think that it works for a bunch of reasons. I think that she is capable of, uh, of, of sort of that humility and she, she feels very genuine, but I also think she's very funny. I think there's a lot of like really... Mm-hmm cutting funny moments um i i even some physical comedy the whole gymnastic gym, uh gymnastic bar that she yeah, just yeah. face plants straight into that was great it's, 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 a, it's a great <laughs> that's beat. what i really thought i that's when i like this is not something i would just entrust to someone i met at a seder right <laughs> right i think that she does a really great job she yeah, just face too. plants and then she gets back up and says these aren't my normal shoes um <laughs> it's she she's really she can she can absolutely stick those lines i'd say that the vo actually doesn't totally work for me in the film i don't know if it worked for you no it just, not really it's it's there it's it's use just it doesn't really i don't know it's there sometimes it goes away um but i do think that she's very genuine she's very heartfelt it's a really good performance from her um and and to your point, entrusting this whole film to someone who had never done this before takes a lot of guts. I, I, I want to kind of point out as well, there's a couple just scenes where location work does so much for you. Most of them are these beach scenes, but still, like, I think of the scene with Lou, uh, Mooney and Lou at the beach with this gray, gloomy, it's like stones all over the beach, them sitting in this boat that's just like landlocked um all this kind of stuff that that the 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 location stuff and i'm sure you know this better than anybody but like 
anytime you could be on location, it's just always going to help your movie and it's always going to make it feel so much more lived in. Um, and, and they're so lucky to have these beautiful locations to be able to take these just big old wide shots of just, you know, Nova Scotia and what have you. It's just really, really beautiful. Um, and I think it goes a long way to imbuing this film with it. Just, it, it, it's, I would argue that for me, 20% or 20 percentage points for me just come from how beautiful the locations are mm-hmm. and from just the feeling of, of this small town. Totally. Um, we mentioned earlier that uh, there's this great scene where Mooney and Lou go for a drive together um, and they drive down the strip and the strip is basically a block. But like, I love the look of that strip. It just me feels too. so real. Um, there's a stunt, I'm assuming, which cost most of their budget to push a, a trailer off of a cliff, um, <laughs> which is 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 shot not great. Um, it's very oddly choreographed. Um, I also just want to say for a second, the director of this film, whose biggest credit is Empire Records, is a good movie. I I don't. What are your thoughts on Empire Records? Are you a fan mm-hmm. of Empire Records? I love Empire Records. <laughs> I love Empire <laughs> Records. I, I mean, right. like, I, I I don't love that Empire Records has become everybody's favorite little cult thing. I know. But um, I was very much in on Empire Records as a kid. Right. It's a great movie. So yeah. it's just, it's, I thought it was, I, I just, it was mine. And I don't, you know, that's great that everyone also, also loves it. But I do. I love, I think it's, fan, I think it's fucking fantastic. I, I love um, my records. It's a great, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that Alan Moyle, who directed this film and directed that film, does have a really good sense of comedy. I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that, that, uh, that he took a swing with this. I mean, this and Empire Records do not feel like similar films. I, you wouldn't have thought that this was from the same no guy. Way. I well, mean, the, yeah. the, the thing with Empire Records that's too bad for Alan Moyle uh, is no one appreciated it until about three weeks ago. So he <laughs> yes. definitely didn't get any yes. kind of bump off it whatsoever. And I now totally, it's, totally agree. You know, 70. So, but if that movie, and again, that movie has an amazing cast and, um, could have been more of a thing. Like it, yep. you just if 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 you put marketing behind it, uh, gave it a big release. I think it could have been a very kind of big, almost seminal movie. Yeah. Um, and then Alan Moyle would have a really big, great career. You know, movie it reminds me of in terms of it should have gotten just a big release and just been such a big deal. Is that movie Band Slam? Great uh, movie. Great movie. Great movie that you know no one ever really paid any attention yep. to, but there's no reason why not, right? Yep. yep. So uh, yes, Alan Moyle could have been a much bigger deal, but he had to go to Canada and shoot this movie for, <laughs> you know, for like ten dollars. Yeah, I, you know, $10. it's 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 interesting. The Empire Records thing, which was a movie that was constantly on in the video store that I worked in when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, it's it, it was just a movie that the the. 20-something girls that worked there just had literally on loop. It was just always on. Um, it, I think it was one of those films that at the time seemed too quaint and too small or whatever the case might be. But like in my brain, I clump it with Josie and the Pussycats. I clump it with like Can't Hardly Wait with like those type of movies. Those movies, which are, are great films, but like I don't know why Empire Records just didn't connect with people when it came out, but it well, just didn't. Like- can't hardly wait. Was in the middle of the teen boom. Yes, had yes, established yes. stars and yeah. got a release. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you, you mentioned two movies by the same director, but yes, I do. Um, Josie and the Pussycats had a 
huge release and was just not just bombed. Yeah. Just it was just misunderstood. Like people yeah. just didn't get it, and yeah. you know, it, I don't think anyone really botched that. I think it was just yeah. kind of you know ahead of its time, and and now everyone understands what a masterpiece it is. Yeah, Empire Records just didn't really even get a chance. Yeah, you, you know, which is why I'm looking at it right now. I had a ten million dollar budget, Warner yeah. Brothers movie. Yep. Like what happened here with with Liv Tyler? By the way, at a time when like Liv Tyler was Liv Tyler, like she yeah, not that she doesn't mean something now, but like she was she was no, like, not really, dude. I mean, she was it was ninety five. Oh, so it was before she really popped. Yeah, so she's like basically just been in Aerosmith videos at this point. Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> you have all these people who rule, right? You have Anthony Lapaglia who rules, Robin Tunney, who I think this is before The Craft, Renee Zellweger before Jerry Maguire, yeah. yep. Lev Tyler before you know Armageddon or whatever, whatever it was. I do think it was um, Rory uh, Rory Cochran after Days and Confused. Uh, yeah, after Days and Confused. Yep. But, um, you know, Ethan Embry before Can't Hardly Wait, um, yep. Can't Hardly Wait. and yep. it just, it, this could have been the movie that popped all of them. It's I such agree. a great film. It's such a funny film. Yep. It's just, it's just a, it's just a great little moment too. Record stores and, you know, mm-hmm. damn the man and save the empire and all that stuff. It should have fucking ruled. It should have been a big then, and like I guess it is in the end of the day. In the end of yeah. the day, like people it love matters. it now. Yeah. It matters a lot more than like I don't know what mattered in nineteen. 19- matters more than she's all that. I agree. I, agree. <laughs> I think. Although I, I mean I, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I do think that some of these movies just age better than others, right? Like she's all that. Which, by the way, there was a clip today of the he's all that. Netflix film that's coming okay, out yeah. next month. Yep. That, that, uh, that by the way, like this is the weird thing about nowadays <laughs> he's all that has been a big kind of like you know inside baseball story for yeah. two or three years right they're making a he's all that yeah. who's gonna who's yeah. gonna write who's gonna start it oh big deal that movie is gonna get put out on netflix no one will ever know it no one's gonna acknowledge it <laughs> and it will go away yep. this yep. almost happened with space jam 2 if it wasn't for all everyone making fun of it like space jam yeah. 2 has been talked about for 25 years it's crazy. It's been talked about with LeBron for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. It gets made, <laughs> it happened, and it's going to go away, and no one will ever discuss it again. I watched it's, it, man. It's something. I'm going tonight. <laughs> I, just, I over am the, very over curious the, to hear what you over think. Over the course it. of this conversation, yes, of this podcast, tickets. I didn't buy tickets, but <laughs> while we were on this podcast, yeah. my so, you know, we're on an hour and a half in the new water for my, yeah. my, my, Twins, yes, and my niece, who's thirteen, yes. are at a drama camp. Okay, and it's not going so well for my son, who's you know, who thought he was into it, and now he's he's the only boy in the cast, and uh, he's like, but he has a great role. He's very happy, but you know, he's just he's he's like he's 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 struggling. Okay, so my niece uh, get is allowed to have her phone there, and they're allowed to use it at lunch. So they just texted me that he's having a hard time. So. Uh, I said, what do you want to do tonight? And he said, I want to go to the theater and watch Space Jam 2. So I guess that's what we're doing. That's what you're doing. 
<laughs> so I'll report back tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to hear what you think of it. Uh, but I, I, I agree with you 100%, Kenny, that, that these, you know, he's all that. It's been talked about for years. Years, years. we've been talking about this thing. And, and this is how we're going to get it. I, I don't know. I'm very curious to see... Um, yeah, Empire Records. I got to rewatch Empire Records now. I, it's a great you know movie. When, you know when this really, this thing we're talking about really hit me is like nothing. You know, like it, it, it's no longer actually even about the movie anymore. Mm. Like the 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 this is a thing that ha- that that's happened in football and basketball and sports in general, where the off season has become more exciting for a lot of people than the season. Yep. You know, yep. look. Yes, last night when we're recording this, the NBA Finals just ended. Yes. Today, this morning, I mean, there's a little bit on Giannis winning, but there's a lot on like, what's Chris Paul going to do next? Like, the offseason has started. Like, what's the next step for Chris Paul? Dude, he's just in the finals. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, did, he did pretty well. So I think like now, like that's happening in, in movies. It's, yes. it's, it's, yes. there's a lot of like, what's the next big movie? What's going to happen? Like, we're so excited for this next thing. When it comes out, no one even gives a shit. Um, yeah, when, and what I was going to say is when this really like hit for me, again, these are two very bad movies, okay. but people for a long time talked about a Zoolander 2 and an Anchorman 2. And those movies yeah. came out and no one cared. I liked you know? Anchorman 2. I know that's you crazy, but no, I, I thought it was either. I mean, I don't remember anything about it, but I remember laughing in the theater. I, I, I agree with you on Zoolander 2. You, you, you. you you can wait too long, man. Like, you know that. As, you know, just like, you got to hit at the right moment, right? If you wait 18 years to do your sequel, I mean, come on. What are you doing? Sometimes the long wait works. Like with Blade Runner 2049. Sure, sure. And some, or Mad Max. Does it work with some, comedies? Uh, uh, <laughs> Borat. Um, Borat, Borat, that's a good you know, call. You're right, some, Borat worked. Yeah, it's not so much that it's not so much that uh, the, it, it can't work with comedies. To me, it's just a matter of execution. There's, I have yeah. no doubt, as Zoolander two could have worked. I have no doubt an Anchorman two could have been a yeah, bigger I, thing. I, I don't doubt it either. I, if I, they were just yeah. really funny, you know, like if they were really good. Um, you know what? I, I, I watched the other day that. I actually would love to see a sequel to, and I don't know if they'll do it. My guess is they won't, but a game night too would absolutely be something that I, I would watch the hell out of. I'm sure they'll do it. You think so? Yeah, it's such a good movie. It's the best fucking movie. Isn't it so <laughs> good? It's the best. It's the, best. It's the like, fucking best. Well, I just had Rollins watch it. He loved it too. Like it's like Ugh. it's just I I adore that movie. I think that movie is is straight up screenwriting 101. I don't mean that in a bad way. Like like, that is, that is the movie you should teach. And um, it's, it also just feels teed up for a sequel. Like you could easily do a sequel to that. The, the adherence to the, you know, the overarching theme of games. I (laughs) respect on such a cellular level. Um, the Denzel I, I, bit is just tremendous. So good. So funny. The the uh, moment when she's like, he drove a BMW. Oh, a three series. Oh. <laughs> 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 very funny. It's, it's a very, very, very I love Lamar Morris. Uh, I love Cali Bunbury. I think that I, I I think that cast just top to bottom is so fucking it's stacked. Stellar. And I no love, one know, drops the ball. No, it's just stacked. And you know, I love Rachel McAdams. She's like she might be my favorite actress. But I what what I love is like art. So uh I love happy endings, as you know. It's sure, such a great sure. show. Great show. 
And you basically have like five killer comedians mm-hmm. and you have Alicia Cuthbert. Yes. And yes. Alicia Cuthbert is, you know, cast because she's a name and she's out of her depth in the first season. And like midway through the first season, they just figure it out. And, and like she starts she figures it out oh. and she becomes the funniest character in the show. Yeah. And that kind of is what happens in game right because yeah. you have these like, I mean, Kylie Bunbury is not exactly a comedic actor, right. but she's not like, you know, She's not tasked with being like super funny. She's great with what with you know the the limited amount of comedy she's given. But Rachel McAdams is not a comedian. I mean, I know she was Regina George, but she's not a comedian, she right? Kills she is so fucking funny. Like she is as funny as anybody else in that film. And like, by the way, like not just funny in terms of delivery. Like her physical comedy in that movie great. is just unbelievable. Like it's funny you bring up Elijah Cuthbert because she's kind of in a weird way, sort of. <laughs> She's the Monica of of that series, right? Which is that Courtney Cox is the yes, name. Is the name and, and, is, and yes. it takes her a beat and the writers a beat to figure out like where the comedy is with Monica. The funny, and then she's really funny. Monica and Rachel are the funniest characters in, in TV history. <laughs> <laughs> They're so specific. I I think I I talked about this on, the, on, on our friends' the podcast. But like they're just the the <laughs> The game of Chandler, the game of Ross, the game of Joey are so out there on Front Street. Like, there's nothing wrong with it, but like, dummy, sarcastic, and nerd. I get it. The game of like, Jap, I can say that. And the game of like, overly competitive woman. Like those yeah. are the people in my yeah. life. Yeah, and also, nobody like, talks about on, like, them. OCD. De- nobody like, all talks of about yeah. them. I, like I, I, I like I love it, but in yeah. like I like the Phoebe's great too. But Phoebe's yeah. you know Phoebe's a clown. Yes. Like that's not a real thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like the 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 the, spe- the specificity of that and the specificity of Rachel McAdams' character. Like yes. that's my wife's family. Yeah, that is like. You know, like if Laura loses, if Laura loses something to me, like a game of horse or a game of ping pong and her sisters are there, the scorn they treat her with, like (laughs) very upsetting for a Levy athlete, very upsetting, very disappointing. They That's amazing. It's, and it's, you know, it's four sisters and a brother and they just, they, they're the most competitive people in the universe. There's I, a great I, moment in Game Night too, where um, Rachel McAdams and <laughs> and Jason Bateman are driving. I think they're driving. They're literally driving to the Game Night, and uh, they see the house. And she says something about like, I mean, look at this house. Someone's clearly overcompensating for something. And Jason Bateman goes, "No, I've seen his penis. It's pretty great." She's like, "I tried. I don't know which one for me." <laughs> like she's like, I'm, I did everything I could to try to make you feel better, and it doesn't matter. So like, yeah. it's just she. It's it's yeah. She is able to throw away a joke. She's able Those to are, nail a joke. She's just. Oh, I know. Just, just, just tremendous. Just tremendous. And also, speaking of of uh, of Jennifer Anderson's delivery, which is fantastic. I've been rewatching Friends at lunch when I'm eating, and I know it happens at lunch. <laughs> well, I'm eating. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, do you remember? I'm sure you remember the episode, obviously, when Joey's reading Little Women, um, mm-hmm. and he puts The Shining in the freezer because it's too scary. And then at the end, he can't finish Little Women, and she says, "Joey, do you want to put the book in the freezer?" And the way that she delivers it is just like funny but sweet, and just like yeah. she's she's great. She's great. She's well, great. her 
she's uh, people. I mean, I know she won the, I know she won the Emmy her last season. So obviously people get it. Like obviously people get how brilliant she was in that show, but like, it's little things like that. It's her recognition that with Joey. Yeah. She's the big sister. Yep. Right. Yep. With Chandler, she's the younger sister. It's this like little thing. That's just like, so, so subtle and clever. And, and she's, I don't know. I, it's it's, great. it's really really hard to to nail it. And there's you know I'm sure on rewatch you're seeing so many things about the show that like did yeah. not age so well. No, but I hope people ignore them for the stuff that was done so it's, brilliantly on that. I show. went over to um, uh, Tia's to to watch Cats with a bunch of the Station 19 writers uh, on the weekend. I bring this up because I'm obviously. Sorry. Tia, Tia was on our friend's episode. Uh, so I was telling her that I was rewatching the show and I rewatched an episode in particular that really made me uncomfortable, which is, do you remember the, I'm sure you do, the episode where Rachel injures her arm and uh, Ross has to like put on her makeup for some mm-hmm. like thing that they have to go to. And then she's about to take off her clothes and she's like, can you please leave? And he's like, but I've seen you naked. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, but I don't like, you know, it's different now. And he's like, I can see you naked whenever I want. I just have to close my eyes. And then he like closes his eyes and he's like, I can see you naked. And I'm just like, I don't like this. I mean, I think it's, I get oh, that's why it's not funny, that bad. but that's it's a not little bit, bad. it's a little gross. Um, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that. I, I Okay. Uh, it just, that's I don't know. The, that's, 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 those are two people. That's, no, I'm not, I'm not into that one. I, I, there's just stuff in the show in particular with Ross's character, that sometimes does bump me in terms yes. of just, um, but anyway, all that being said, um, I, I, I think that it is all of this stemmed from this movie. And I think what's interesting about this film and how it connects to what we were just talking about is um, great casting, the right people knowing, you know, what people have inside them and, and hoping that you can find a way to, to to express that. I think they did a great job with Leanne. I think they did a great job with Tara in this film. I think that this film is is pretty well cast across the board. Um, do you want to rate this movie? Sure do, pal. Uh, so in 1999, as I mentioned, um, I saw this film at, I think I might have even seen it at TIFF, but um, saw it with my friends. Uh, liked it quite a bit. Uh, probably gave it a 75 back then. Like, I don't know that I necessarily was over the moon about it, but I thought Leanne was great. Uh, and I was obviously very happy for her. Um, before this podcast, watching it again, I was a little bit lower. I think I, I think it was at like a 70. Um, and now after our conversation, especially, you know, us unpacking a lot of the Andrew McCarthy stuff, I'm, I'm a little lower. I think I'm probably at like a 67. Um, that's where I'm at. Phil? You hit me right on the head. I'm at a 67. <laughs> oh, that's where I was before the podcast. I'm going to stay at a 67. I feel like uh, some things are worse than I thought, and some things are better than I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think 67 is exactly where I want this uh, movie to live. I, yeah, look, it's the problem is it's a good movie. Yeah, uh, it lacks urgency and it's inessential. And in 1999, yeah. not such a big deal. Mm-hmm. In 2021, a much bigger deal. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that's a and and that's a problem with the pacing of yeah. our or the pace of our modern times. Yeah. Um, that I, you know, I desperately want to or I desperately long for a time in the future when I can get off the fucking treadmill 
and just chill out and time kind of slows down. <laughs> but for now, if I'm not doing a podcast on every film that came out in a particular year, I don't have time <laughs> for movies yeah. that are uh, that lack urgency. And, uh, and, and what, what I mean by that is not lack urgency contextually. I mean, they, 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 they don't like, like call out for me to watch them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need to be watching this to kind of, you know, fill some, some, some hole in myself or, or do, you know, like whatever. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's an inessential movie, but it is by no means a bad movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think it's, I, I feel, I feel very similar. I think that obviously I'm glad I rewatched it. Um, you know, I, I, I wish that it had a little bit more oomph to it. I wish it had a little bit more of a spine at times. I, you know, I wish that, as we said, it it it, it aimed more at, at Mooney and Lou and really kind of just completely committed to that relationship because I think that that's, that's the heart of this movie. I think that's the best part of this film. Um, but I'm glad I watched it again, and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, I'm glad that we were able to talk about it. So there you go. What do you want to um, do next week? Yeah, I'm not going to throw out anything because when we do the interview, we'll we'll just kind of we'll just seam it there and we'll throw to the interview. <laughs> uh, we could also throw to it when we do the interview, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we're going to have uh, Leanne on to talk about perhaps even Tara uh, as well to talk about uh, working on this film and and what it was like to uh, to make it um, and uh, and what it's like to watch it perhaps if they watched it again recently to see sort of how it holds up for them and 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 all that. So that's what all we right. have to look forward to. Stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. Hey, everyone, we are back with the stars of the movie we just talked about. Believe it or not, we have stars on this show. It's <laughs> Tara Spencer Nairn, Leanne Balaban, the, uh, the, the co-leads of this fantastic film that we both really enjoyed. Uh, thank you guys so much for, for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. I um, So, I mean, I, I, you know, I've known Leanne now for over 20 years, which is crazy to say out loud, but it's true and i feel like we never really talked about the experience while you were even having it like i remember you getting the part obviously i remember you going to shoot the movie um i remember you testing for it i remember you auditioning doing all the the whole process of it um but i i guess i just sort of you know obviously through the lens of 2021 what was that experience like having never done anything like this before you know and and it it was i mean Pretty. It seems effortless. I mean, your performance in the film is great, but I'm just sort of curious as to sort of what it was like that whirlwind. I mean, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. I actually started auditioning for it when I was 17. So, I, I mean, I barely had a, had had a job when I was 17, let alone auditioning to star in a movie. I it just on so many levels it was a new experience, like entering the world of work going to an office building to perform and being filmed um, and meeting all of these very interesting adults that I <laughs> that were involved in the movie business, which I had no experience in and didn't know no family or anything like who made movies or were in cinema or TV or anything like that. So just, just everything about it was novel um, and exciting. I, I had been like a, a high school theater nerd and was in the play. Like you remember, I always acted in high school and stuff, but I never really considered it a career. Like, I mean, yes, there were movie stars, but like, it's not something you actually could choose to do and have a profession. And like that, it just, especially living in Toronto at the time, didn't seem like 
something I would ever pursue. I don't know. I was really interested in journalism. Um, I thought I did go to journalism school briefly, but anyway, um, yeah, it was just so crazy. It was so crazy to be a teenager and just have that opportunity and to keep getting called back. Like when I was convinced I w- it was terrible, every audition, I was like, no, that was really bad. That was really terrible. Um, yeah. So it just, you know what though, in hindsight, it had a sense of inevitability to it. Like just, I was called back about seven times over the course of mm-hmm. almost a year. So it was meant to be, felt like kind of it was meant to be. Sure. Wow. Tara, what was your experience getting cast in this movie? I, I the basic research I did shows me it was not your first role, <laughs> uh, but it was, but it was, it, you it were, really you was. were, you were, <laughs> done you like- were uh, yeah, you were obviously a you know, young actor at the time and it seemed like you had done some stuff before, but. I was like fresh out of film school, Vancouver film school. Um, I, I'd been in like a couple shows. I think I'd, I'd, uh, my big break was a guest star in the TV show called Two. Mm-hmm. About this okay. guy who was twins. He had an evil twin. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um, it was great show, guys. Really great show. You got to research great. that. Yeah. Um, and I auditioned for this. And again, like, I think as any actor auditions, you sort of audition and you're like, okay, see you later. And uh, they had callbacks in Vancouver. And I was, I think I was one of the only people who went in for Lou in Vancouver. And I remember, you know, after the fact, the casting director, John Comerford, actually was honest with me. And I didn't realize, but he was like, no, they asked me to just record you the whole time because the director and producer wanted to get a sense of your personality. And he was asking me all these crazy questions. And I was talking about getting kicked out of high school. (laughs) Sure. Like, of being suspended and uh and then I found out that that essentially was like my audition like part of my audition um sure. but it took a really long time for me to find out because they actually wanted Natasha Leone in the role oh. and I think they didn't have uh-huh. the money okay. for her <laughs> so uh I kept I remember that summer I kept having my agent call every week and he was like I can't I can't keep calling to see if you're still the first choice so, you know, they kept calling and said, yep, you're still, you're still in the right. mix. You're still the choice. But they, you know, they were trying to pursue Natasha Leone. And I've actually spoken to the producers um, since then. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we were trying to get her. We couldn't get her, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Um, so have you guys watched the film like at all recently? Or have you watched it since it came out? I mean, has it, have, you, have you sort of taken another look at it? I went to a I haven't recently. I went to a screening actually with uh, Jennifer Kawaja. They had a screening at the TIFF. Um, and actually, Trisha Fish was there too. Oh, cool. Uh, was it uh, Jack Julia and Jennifer were there? Trisha. Um, it was Those so are the bizarre. producers and screenwriters. Sorry, yes. <laughs> yes sure, sure. I'm just saying their names. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm just curious was, as to really sort of weird. how it. How it holds up. It's it's interesting because, you know, I I saw it back in the day. Um, I I can't remember if I saw it at TIFF or when it came out in theaters, but I I obviously saw it. And I had not seen it since then. And Kenny had had never seen the film when we watched it to talk about on the episode. Um, And and there's a lot of things that hold up incredibly well. And then there's some stuff Mm -hmm. that obviously it's been 20 some odd years and, you know we're just, we're different people now and we're seeing it through a different lens. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to talk for a sec about the, the Andrew McCarthy relationship. 
Um, the things that hold up really well are your performances. Yes. I was going to say, you guys are um, fucking great. And and also uh, your storylines and your relationship yes, yes, and your dynamic. Yes. Um, yes. It's it, The Andrew McCarthy stuff is a little cringy. Oh, now. my gosh. Yeah. So um, cringy. Yeah, it's a little cringy. Yes. Oh, and also, I mean, oh. you know, the 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 photography and and it really is a beautiful looking movie. It and is. um, and it's actually a little prescient in terms of um consent issues and um kind of the Me Too of it and female empowerment and female friendship. So there there is a ton about this movie that like um we loved and we're really kind of impressed by, but. It was a little kneecapped by this Andrew McCarthy thing. <laughs> it's, we love. I mean, we think who, he's great. Yeah, we, and and obviously, you know, we love you guys in it. But Leanne, I'm curious. You know, you guys have an interesting chemistry, which we were, which I, I mean, it, it's when it crosses the line into obviously more than just friendship when things become a little cringy. And I guess my question to you is, how did you approach that? Did it seem cringy to you at the time? Did you feel like did you and Andrew talk about the relationship between these two characters in any way? You know, because as I said, like everything about this was a completely new experience. Sure, I had sure. no barometer for like anything that would be appropriate or not appropriate. But having said that, everything felt uh, relevant to the story that we were telling when, when we prepared and when we talked about the characters. And I didn't, you know, we do live in such a different world in 2021 that we have denormalized this kind of relationship between teacher student, which is like definitely socially uh, progress. But at the time I didn't know, I was not like, uh, I didn't have that lens. I didn't have that critical like gaze as a teenager to be able to see that this was a fundamentally inappropriate relationship. To me, I was just living inside the character and inside the world of the story. I think I really did inhabit deeply Mm -hmm. that, that sense of like, her ambition and tried to relate it to my own life. So I wasn't, I mean, it's even still difficult today, Terry, you could speak to this, like to fully invest yourself in a script in a part when you do have those like critical reflections on it. Yeah. I think like that still exists to this day, but definitely at the time, like being a naive teenager, I don't think I had that, that awareness um, back then. And actually hadn't even considered that aspect of the film until you two brought it up right now, which is obviously true, <laughs> but like, I just didn't, you know, I didn't have that, that sure. savvy at that age. Well, you're not alone. Seen it in a long it, time. What it feels, I mean, Kenny and I talk about it on the episode, um, uh, you know, at length about sort of what's become kind of tropey about it. I mean, it became a real thing for a long time, certainly within the 90s and, and, and early 2000s of that sort of this power dynamic that existed um, and, and why so many movies sort of trafficked in that stuff. It's some, somehow, some way, uh, we kind of went through the Rubicon on it and it became... You know, as you said, uh, Leanne, it became kind of okay. And we've gotten back to the place where it has been denormalized and it's not allowed anymore, you know, appropriately. But I'm actually, weirdly enough, watching movies from the 80s right now where it's very clear that this is a, where, where this relationship is something that happens. And it's very clear that this is not appropriate, that this is not something that can, that can continue a teacher student relationship. So it was, you know, it was a it was a weird thing, and it's uh it's 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 as a, as a young actress, it is kind of 
unfortunate that no one kind of stopped. No one kind of said, "Hey, by the way." Right. Uh, but, this those, is, but that's you know. also speaking to the the time that it was and when it was oh, filmed for sure, and, for sure. and how things were perceived and yeah. um, times have changed and it's been a long time since then. And for me, it really didn't stand out until I saw the movie again a few years ago. And that that's when I went, oh, my God. God, that is really inappropriate. Yeah, um, yeah. But again, at the time, same with Leanne, it didn't really jump out to me because we were taught to, uh, you know, it's almost as like this misogynistic sort of world that we were brought up in. And that's that's how it was. And that's what we were taught. And that was a thing that happened in life. And you better be ready, girls. Like, you know? Yeah. It's a great way to, it's a great barometer to say, look how far we've come. And uh, holy crap, that was really inappropriate. And uh, yeah, I mean, I see it as like a a bad tattoo. You know, you can, you can say you got this bad tattoo when you were 18. And then your way of justifying is, but like, look how far I've come. Look how far (laughs) we've come, you know? So that's that's how you're like, it's a reminder of where we once were. Yeah. You, you can contrast all of that with your character, Tara Lou, who kind of came into this town almost as an avenging angel, right? Yeah. Uh, and and was very eyes wide open about the way the women of this town were kind of, and, and kind of women in general, but the women of this town were being uh, used and kind of cheated upon and, and that whatnot by the, by the young men of this town. And uh, I thought that was really interesting, too. And, and how did that feel playing that character and, you know, kind of being on the, the leading edge of, of that idea? Well, that character also came from a lot of hurt and pain where she suffered the same sort of abuses from her own father and watched that abuse go down in her own family. So that 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 sort of angel, should you say, like um, where where Lou comes from is a lot is a lot of pain and hurt. And she wants to, for me, the way I saw it is like whatever she can do to help her mother and help make this, make this right, like get away from where she was and how can I make this right? And that was really the through line, I feel like, for this, this character. Um, but, you know, she's a really broken character who's uh, damaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm curious, um, Leanne, in terms of Mooney's character. You know, Kenny and I talked a little bit about, um, you know, sort of a, a Winona Ryder kind of vibe that she has. A little bit of sort of that. That um, I thought of mermaids. I thought of like there were there were films that sort of came to mind when it came to Mooney's character. Were there things that you were there sort of touchstones for you? I know that. I mean, obviously, it was your first performance, but were there inspirations? Were there things that you thought about as you were doing the role? In preparation, Alan Moyle, the director, showed me the film Margaret's Museum. And Helena Bonham, yeah, Helena Bonham Carter's performance wasn't directly an influence, but certainly like in terms of the way she related to the camera, that was something that I studied, like the the way that she angled her face or she held her body. So there was more of like um, maybe a bodily preparation, like just the way that Mooney would like inhabit her skin. I think they probably wanted Winona Ryder and Natasha Leone to star in this movie. <laughs> but Winona I mean, Ryder and Natasha Leone. <laughs> that would have been an that awesome movie. Yeah, would have been that would have been the movie. ultimate, ultimate 90s movie. Um, <laughs> but instead it was us. 
So <laughs> well, I, I, I want to kind of, I wanted to and ask about, about your relationships. You guys obviously didn't know each other prior to, to this and the characters didn't know each other either. But by the end of the film, you really do feel this bond. You really do feel this closeness between the two of them. Um, you know, how did you guys approach, you know, your friendship, your relationship, you know, within these relationships of, of Mooney and Lou? I feel like it was art imitating life, imitating art. Like you were the experienced actor coming onto the set. You were giving me all this advice and wisdom. You took me under your wing. You explained all the vocabulary to me. I clearly remember just helping me navigate this world. Like, okay, when they say back to ones, that means we're going back to our marks. Mark, (laughs) Mark, by the way, Mark is like the tape on the floor. You have to hit your mark when you're on camera. Um, we're, we're number ones, number ones. Cause we're like the, the cast, that's the talent. Like, I just remember <laughs> being so grateful that I had oh, this that's kind so nice. that's adorable. partner. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think everything flowed from like our, our, our real life synergy. It wasn't hard to, to spark that, you know, in our characters. And you I feel like too, they, they sure. truly, they truly hired like the people who were the characters. And I think that just mm-hmm. automatically, like, I'm also just like outgoing and exuberant and I want to have fun and I want to party. And I'm like, you can't go to bed yet. We're going to stay up. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, I think it just came organically and naturally. And I, I feel like that's why they did take so long in the casting process and did want mm-hmm. to, um, cast it in sort of a unique different way that was a lot of that i think was alan alan moyle and he really did like remember the bubble i need you to come into the bubble girls come into yeah, the right. bubble <laughs> it was the bubble but i remember also just being in awe of leanne and almost jealous of leanne at this girl who had like never done this in her life and was honestly killing it it's and i remember just sitting there going what the fuck am i doing I- <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, babe, that's so kind. Going to get, what am I, fuck. It was just so organic and natural. And I'm sitting there going, I am trying so damn hard here. Um, You you guys were both (laughs) fantastic. But I do want to piggyback on that a little bit. Because one thing that that I kept thinking throughout the movie, knowing that this is your first role, Leanne, was um, I never would have trusted a first timer with that role. It's, (laughs) it's, Nothing about that role, and you were so good. And that my my point is like it was it was amazing. But nothing yeah. about that role and your performance in it is innate. It's nothing is obvious. Like it's not like any other characters. It would like it's not really a Natalie Portman role. It's not really a Winona Ryder role. Like there's a there's a like an edge and a and a and a almost like almost like a like a. Um, nihilism to it that you don't really see with those characters and it was it was kind of amazing to 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 watch you pull that off like there was the the moment where you fell in the gym where you, oh. and oh then you God. got right back up yeah. <laughs> that was that could have been out of a what could have been out of a Wes so Anderson good. movie totally. it's just it's, yeah. like it had a Rushmore vibe to it like that's actually kind of yes. more than anything like, like it was like a, it was like a female uh, Jason Schwartzman performance. I mean, again, no, like, j- yeah, there's just nothing, there's just nothing in, innate about that. So really, really amazing. I love that. I mean, you should have won. Like- you should have won. Uh, at the time, it was a genie for that. I never really understood that. I feel like we split the. We were nominated. You were nominated. We were- oh, we weren't. Nominated. I wasn't. You weren't even no. nominated. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> That's shit. Really? That's junk. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to... Ah, so started. you guys shot a f- 
most of this on location, correct? Am I am I wrong All in that of it, assessment? Yeah. All of it in location, right? And it was in uh, uh, Cape Breton, correct? Yeah. That you shot it. I think most there were maybe like a few a bar here or there in in Halifax, like in, or sorry, in, it, in um in Sydney. Uh, in Sydney, Sydney, yeah, because you really feel a real sense of place. The location stuff, and I'm sure you guys can speak to this, you know, in the many years since, but location work goes so far towards really putting you in the headspace of of it feeling lived in and it feeling as though you are in these places rather than being on a soundstage, which inevitably feels very fake. Um, But I, I... First of all, as Kenny mentioned, it's beautifully filmed and you get to have all these beautiful wide shots of the fact that you're there. Um, But did it go a long way towards helping your performances in terms of making it feel like you were living in this actual place? Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Because it does, it just feels like you guys, it does feel like a second skin. You know, Kenny and I talked about one of our favorite scenes um, uh, in the film is when you drive down the strip. Oh, I love that. It's such a good scene. it's It's like a block. Hey, and then, Kenny, what's up? <laughs> and then Lou says, are we supposed to now pretend that they're new guys when we yeah. drive back up this block? Yeah. So like, like, we pretend they're different guys on the way yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a great, it's a great scene and it, it does feel like, it just feels like these little towns. And, and I mean, obviously um, Halifax is beautiful. Cape Breton's beautiful, but they're, you know, not densely populated. They don't feel like big bustling places. Um, I, I also sort of, wanted to talk a little bit or ask about the there's some pretty intense coming of age emotions that are obviously baked into this film you guys were relatively close to the ages of the roles were you guys kind of dealing with the same stuff that you felt Lou and Mooney were dealing with at the time or were you did you have a little bit of distance from it what was it like to explore those feelings I wasn't in an inappropriate relationship with my high school teacher. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good a plus. Start. That's a really a good, good place to be. I actually, I had an amazing English and drama teacher, Mr. Spiegel, <laughs> who, no, I mean, I mean, I as a, sorry, I just, I just want to give credit where credit's due. Like I was a first time actor in this movie, but I had a lot of experience from high school drama mm. and being in plays. Sure, and I, was, sure, you know, and that was like, that was part of my, my, preparation in life for this part sure. so so I wasn't going through that like Mooney um I mean and I, your relationship I, with I your mean, family is very different than Mooney's relationship with her family I did so relate even, you know yeah. on it but honestly I did relate this might seem small but living in the suburbs of Toronto and wanting to be part of like the action of the city I really mm-hmm. did feel like an outsider today to, the concept of Toronto is different like it's just this huge sprawling sure. metropolis but in the 90s like Growing up in North York, I really felt like I wasn't living the downtown dreams of my life. And I I, I know that sounds small, but like... The downtown dreams. It wasn't. I I was like, I had to take... I need to get in further with you on that at a different topic at a different time. (laughs) Well, I had to take the 7C bus down Bathurst, like for... I remember, hour. I remember driving you home periodically and you're you lived far away. <laughs> that, <laughs> like, that just, you could weep about that. You can that could feel that could fuel an emotional scene. So sure, sure, sure. So I did I did I did recognize that longing, you know, that little deep longing that Mooney has for something bigger, something greater. Sure, than sure. this. Sure. I really did identify with that. See, for me, I was living in Vancouver and it was my first time like living on my own. Um, definitely um, uh, into going out 
and exploring my options at that time. Uh-huh, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> and not as worried about what people said about me, shall we say. There's names that you might call that girl. Um, I did actually cheat on my boyfriend <laughs> while we were shooting. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa. We Does he know that? that? Is this an exclusive? I, it doesn't matter. <laughs> He's married with a kid now. It doesn't matter. Sure, 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 sure. Um, so I was definitely dealing with some of the... The uh, the things that uh, sure. the <laughs> of being of being yeah. around that age for sure of, of for being sure. around that age because I think I was nine, 19 because I could drink I right. was legal well, to drink I don't think yeah, you were sure. legal or maybe you were legal to drink there are they strict in in uh, in Halifax though? Alan crazy. Royal was super strict with me he was like and we had do you remember Bora our line producer yes. he was like on our butts like go to bed go home go straight home oh my <laughs> go God. to sleep as soon as you get home oh my. so they were you know they didn't want us to break our leg or go on a bender obviously I was on a bender every night <laughs> in that hotel bar Great. oh my gosh Oh, every night I went says, straight yeah. home I went straight to sleep because Alan Moyle had told me he's like Leanne you're in every almost every scene but this is yeah, an extremely different. demanding task you have got to have energy so mm-hmm. as soon as the day is over you go home and you go straight to bed that's it and I and I was very obedient my I was I never even called my parents for like the first three weeks because I was so busy and just going straight to sleep at night like I literally did not I went home washed my face went to sleep that like my mom called the producer to be like what is my daughter okay you were in every single scene you didn't yeah. uh, you didn't know what it was going to be like to be working you know sometimes 14 15 16 hour days yeah it takes a lot and I mean yeah. I you you were carrying that movie and they were counting on you and that was a lot of pressure that maybe you didn't realize at the time. But, you know, I think that the directors and producers were very aware that they needed to protect you sure. and take care of you. you Which know? is right. great. I mean, I, I imagine that there are any number of films uh, where teenagers were not cared for in that oh, way. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and so it's it's great to see that they that they were taking care of you. I, I want to ask about your your parental, the actors that play your your parents in these films. Um, you know, Tara, you have, you know, Kathy Moriarty <laughs> playing your mom, which is pretty amazing. I mean, I yeah. obviously not to say that that Leanne, your parents both uh, very prominent Canadian actors that were playing your your parents. What was what was the dynamics like with you guys in terms of you know on and off camera? Um, I I was just like I can't believe Kathy Moriarty could be my mother. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I was like, oh. <laughs> hi. But she was also amazing. She like came with a crew of people. She's like Tara, and she was like always like talking to me like this. And sure, uh, but sure. she had like a crew of people that like walked around with her everywhere she went. But she was so kind, so nice. Uh, was not, um, you know, you know when you meet like huge actors that are sort of icons in your life and they're total assholes, and you're like, oh god, that was so disappointing. She did not let me down. She was incredible, um, a really nice person. She actually we actually kept in touch for like a couple years after. Oh, that's so cool. Um, she was really sweet. I The one thing I, I was sad about, I remember when the movie came out, is a lot of that storyline got cut out as, right. you know, inevitably that those things happen. Um, it just was going to be too complicated and too long, but it was right. it was kind of a nice little storyline. And I was like, ah, damn. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, it was it was just a great experience to work with her and watch her work. And uh, I just spent half the time on set staring at her. <laughs> Reasonable. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. 
Beautiful. Uh, Leah, what were your, what was the relationship like with your parents? Your fictional uh, parents? They were wonderful. They were just kind and supportive. And I mean, I didn't realize like how amazing they really were until I like saw the movie and I was like, Oh my gosh, they're, they're, they're incredible and hilarious. And <laughs> I, I do remember, I think Nicholas Campbell and I, who played my father went to see a movie together on one of our days off. Um, I think we went to see what dreams may come. Is that wait? Hello. Is yeah, that yeah, a, that's right. That's ninety eight. That, that makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. And it was so weird. Yes, yeah, it was just such, It was, and also it's not a good movie to see like the first time you hang out. Go with yeah. like it was just too yeah. too too much of a heavy weird movie. But that's seeing like, a movie with someone you don't know that well is very awkward. It's very yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah. unless the movie's good. like amazing, right? Yeah. And then like at least you have that to talk about. But if it's yeah. just like what dreams may come, you can talk about like. The afterlife, or I mean, that's oh no, oh god, (laughs) it doesn't sound fun. But there, it's interesting. You know, when Kenny and I were breaking down the film, you know, the the we obviously believe that your relationship, the Mooney Lou relationship, is hands down the best part of the film. And it's not to say that that the other parts don't work as well, but we just wish that the film maybe went more all in with you guys, because like as much as we did enjoy the stuff with your with with Mooney's parents it does sort of feel like meanwhile in a different movie you have <laughs> this you have this stuff happening um and and because you guys were just so great we just uh, it, it it's if there's a shame to be had it's that the film didn't sort of dedicate itself to to that sort of coming of age narrative and and especially the as kenny mentioned the stuff with with lou and and sort of becoming this avenging angel that stuff is just really really um feels very 2021 so it was it it would have been nice to have seen Mm. them run with that a little bit more but yeah i mean these are it is what it is but um so you guys obviously have worked on many things since and i guess you know and, and a fair amount of television as well and i'm sort of curious as to what that experience is like in comparison to the stuff that you've done since. I mean, obviously, Leanne, it was the first thing you ever did. You had nothing to compare it to, but you you now have many films and television stuff to compare it to. And and did you? I mean, what was the experience like in comparison? It will never compare to anything that I have <laughs> sure. worked on since because it was it was a work experience, but it was also a profound life experience. Because I mean, as Tara touched on we were teenagers and it was, for me, it was the first time I was living an independent life, like away from my parents. I had, I was living in a hotel. I, I had to get, get my own meals. Like I, it was just all new to me. It was like, it was a coming of age. Like just being there was me coming of age in a different way. And I remember like being so happy, just feeling like I was creating something. I was work, I was working, I was getting paid. I was making something cool. Um, and I was independent and it it just, I felt self for the first time. And it was just this tremendous feeling of satisfaction. Um, and one of my favorite memories is just on my days off, like walking through, uh, Cape Breton with a a Walkman and my friend Lucas had made me a mixtape of this new band, Bell and Sebastian. And I was like Mm -hmm. listening to Bell and Sebastian going, yeah, (laughs) going for a walk. Um, I think that's kind of when they emerged. Yeah, anyway, yeah, walking sure, around, sure. listening to Bell and Sebastian on my on my Walkman, and like just feeling like really cool. Um, <laughs> that might be and, the most Leanne thing I've ever heard. I, know, so, <laughs> I, just, I mean, the idea of Leanne listening to Bell and Sebastian just zoning out in Cape Breton is just the most like oh, that, that is that is incredible. That is amazing. <laughs> and like so, obviously, 
no move, no jobs. Every job since then has had, I've been grateful for and I've enjoyed in certain ways, but it's had that feeling of like a job. Whereas Mm -hmm. this had this feeling of like a life event. Sure, sure. That makes sense. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Tara, what about you? I think for me, there was um, an innocence about it. Um, I, I like, I'd never heard of the Toronto Film Festival. I lived in Vancouver. I was still a new, like a relatively new actor who wasn't really in that scene or knew about that scene. Uh, I just knew I was like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to the East Coast to make a movie. I don't, it's like a movie. I don't know where it's going to air. Is it going to air on the television? Uh, Like, I didn't, I didn't even think that it was going to be in movie theaters. Like, I, I thought like movie of the week or something that'll be on CBC or that's, that's what I thought. And um, so when we went to Toronto, I was like, what? Sorry, what's the Toronto Film Festival? Right. (laughs) And it was just so weird. And, um, but there was a, a beautiful innocence about it that I don't think I will ever get back. Um, sure. ever, ever again. Um, now that I've been around and I'm jaded and, uh, but I understand the industry and I, I see it sure. through different eyes. Um, that was the first time I saw it through those eyes. And there was something really beautiful about that. Uh, just being in the moment and not thinking ahead or of anything else really. Well, guys, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to to chat with us and 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 talk about this film and and uh, I mean Leanne obviously it's always it's always a pleasure to to chat with you about anything but uh, but just in general I mean this is a movie that that uh, I don't know it's a real time capsule for me and it took me back and uh, I'm just so so happy to uh, to have been able to kind of walk through this uh, with you. Thank you, Phil. It was really a pleasure to reconnect. I mean, and talk about this experience that was really profound for Tara and I that we we really haven't had the opportunity to we haven't to share about. <laughs> I know, and I keep telling Trisha, I was like, "Let's revisit it. Let's where where are Mooney and Lou now?" Yeah, there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot. There's a lot going on in this movie, and and you know, as as our listeners will hear the previous ninety minutes or so of Kenny and I expounding about it and and sort of unpacking it. There's there's a lot of really, uh, you know, uh, prescient stuff going on in it, and and some really beautiful. I mean, obviously your performances are tremendous, but there's a lot. It's it's a little scattershot. It's a little over the place, but it's doing a lot of things that I think are are interesting and that weren't really being done at the time. I thank mm-hmm. you for mentioning that, Phil, because I really do want to take a minute while we're here to highlight Trisha Fish, because none of this would exist without her screenplay, and in so many ways, it's brilliant. Some things, as you mentioned, haven't aged as perfectly, sure, but sure. it was, it, it was an extremely avant-garde film at the time because I mean, it was feminist in so many ways. It was two mm-hmm. female leads. It was mm-hmm. the female experience, which yeah. is still underrepresented. So um, looking back on that being my first film, it's yeah. one of the best That's very things cool. I've ever worked on, you know, like yeah. uh, having the, the opportunity to inhabit a real girl. And have it be her story. Yeah. But it's also Mm -hmm. like talk about two female leads, a female writer, two female producers. Yeah. Like it was a very uh, female heavy project Mm -hmm. to be on. And I think I agree. Like it was what an honor for that to be 
the first experience for totally. you, especially. It's a very special movie, uh, in, and and it's doing a lot of stuff that, and it's an underseen film too. I mean, it's it's a movie that that we really hope more people will uh, take the time to to seek out. It's currently, uh, if you, if you live in the states, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Um, so so there is that, but uh, but we you know we'd love more people to see it, and 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 you know I think I speak for Kenny as well when I say thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you guys. I loved it. This was so much yeah, fun. It was, it was a Ooh. pleasure. It was fun. One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.